I've talked to my kids about drugs, following the classic strategy laid down by Ronald and Nancy Reagan in the late 80s. The only thing more influential than a parent is a hero. My oldest son, Cole, was old enough to really appreciate the feats of super swimmer Michael Phelps over the course of two Olympics. He was also the right age to be completely crushed by Phelps' admission of pot smoking at a party. To this point, I have never talked to my kids about my own drug use. Why delve into my own embarrassing past when folks like Michael Phelps and Miley Cyrus can manage these lessons for me, right? Well, the easiest answer is that celebrity very rarely ever imitates reality. Today's episode of the Truth As I See It podcast continues my self-deprecating saga into the dark moments that colored in my existence. I don't remember exactly when the panic attacks started, but they were incapacitating. If you've ever had a panic attack, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you haven't ever had one, you won't understand at all. And you'll likely make judgment based on what you think a panic attack is. All I know is that when in the midst of a panic attack, a really brutal one, your life flashes before you in the brief moments when the hysteria loosens its grip. The terror is extreme and relentless, and doctors and nurses often exacerbate the issue by not understanding the physical and psychological ramifications of panic attacks. They are the darkest place you can be, because for a few moments, or even several hours, you feel as though you have no control of your mind or your body. In the midst of a bad attack, you pray for silence and for something to slow your racing heart. You plead for a distraction, something to take your mind off the horror. But your mind is the horror, and it's likely to pull you kicking and screaming from any little ledge or solitude you manage to find. The first time I smoked pot was in high school at a jazz festival, which is so cliche, I'm still ashamed to talk about it. It was the trombonist's stash and the drummer's bong. We smoked and then we played the best set of our lives for what it was worth. That's it, story over. I went back to my life and they to theirs. And even though it was offered to me, I didn't touch any weed again for a long, long time. It wasn't until after the attack started, until after the first hospitalization for a panic attack, that I started considering it. I read in a magazine somewhere that smoking marijuana had all kinds of health benefits, and after suffering two or three terrible panic attacks in the span of a few months, I started to wonder if smoking weed would be a remedy for the terrors that assailed me. I tested my theory in the worst possible way. It was a sunny, late summer day in Oregon when some friends invited me up to Detroit Lake for some trout fishing. I was off work, so I rode up with a married couple and we met our fourth at the secret location on the northeast end of the lake. It was a hike-in spot, and by the time we arrived, where a large stream fed the lake, Bill was already there with a line in the water. I brought some microbrews with me and stuck them in the stream to chill. Bill and John started fishing in earnest, pulling fat trout out of a couple of productive holes. 
I put a rooster tail on and made a few casts, but already I could feel the uneasiness building in my stomach. I talked to Mary for a while, but it was difficult to distract myself from the thoughts beginning to build. Bill and John were taking pulls off a small glass pipe, and I drank a beer hoping it would settle my stomach. When I finished the beer, I tried fishing some more, but the terror was starting to rise. I felt trapped there in the forest at the edge of the lake. I didn't want to tell my friends how I was feeling because I didn't want to make them uncomfortable. That's when I asked Bill for a hit. He said it was twiggy Mexican weed, pretty bad, really, but he passed me the pipe and I took a quick hit. I've never been able to inhale well, which is why I've never been able to smoke cigarettes, but I held it in just long enough to feel the burn on my lungs. The first hit never does much, but the second hit does. The small world at the edge of the lake got even smaller. Darkness was descending and the horror started to set in. The problem with Mexican weed is that it's very impure and as such, it has all kinds of negative psychotropic side effects. One of which is extreme paranoia. You add paranoia to a panic attack and you have ostensibly the worst combination you can have anywhere. Not to mention a remote lake in the Cascade Mountains of Oregon. It was getting dark and everyone was ready to hike out. We packed up and that's when they noticed that I was breathing hard. The dizziness kicked in a few minutes later as I stumbled down the root infested trail toward where the cars were parked. The first stages of a panic attack are terrifying, mostly because the whole world feels like it's closing in on you. The sky seems to shrink and walls, if you're inside, close in around you. If you're outside, this feeling can be exacerbated by the trees overhead. In a really bad panic attack, you desperately try to get out of any tight-fitting clothing. Everything feels like it's strangling you. All of this happened on the walk back to the cars. They would stop and wait for me as I bent over a stump, gasping for air. By the time I got to the car, my friends were very worried about me, as they should have been. They kept asking me what I wanted them to do. Go home, stop in the little town of Detroit and call an ambulance, what? My heart was racing and I was breathing far too fast for my own good. I was near the stage where you pass out, that terrifying moment where you don't know if you'll wake up again. My friends decided on their own to pull over in Detroit. Detroit Lake is about 45 minutes from Salem, Oregon. It's a windy two-lane road with passing lanes. In summer, it's a solid line of cars. The town itself is a motley collection of old houses and a few shops, maybe two gas stations if I remember right. There is no hospital or clinic, and it can take an hour to reach the emergency services available there. We stopped the car in front of a row of shops, and my friends Bill and John went door to door asking about a local paramedic, while Mary stayed with me. The car was too much for me. The walls were tightening up, and I wanted to crawl through the windshield in front of me. I finally opened the door, and still breathing hard, I crawled into the middle of the big parking lot and laid down to look up at the stars. This diversion helped me for a while. The sky was wide and dark, but full of stars. For a few minutes, I did not feel like I was being strangled. Mary held my hand and looked worried. And there is no way to communicate your emotions or feelings in a panic attack. You either understand it or you don't. You either know what it's like to have your mind turn into a complete horror show, or you just look at someone going through it like it's the strangest thing you've ever seen. And it is. You wonder if the person is dying, having a heart attack, a stroke, something physical that you can treat the symptoms, but it's a mind attack and it can't be treated externally. 
A paramedic arrived finally and took my vitals. Upon seeing my blood pressure and blood oxygen levels, she called an ambulance. She couldn't give me anything immediately, so she sat on the other side of me in the middle of that big parking lot and held my other hand. It took 45 minutes for the ambulance to arrive from Salem, and by then, the attack was starting to recede. But they loaded me up all the same and began the long drive back to Salem, to the nearest hospital in Staten. I remember being strapped to the gurney in the ambulance while another paramedic checked the computers overhead for my readings. I asked her if I was going to be okay. You're going to be just fine, she said, mechanically. A few minutes later, I overheard her say something to the driver and passenger. His blood oxygen levels are spiked, she said. Pick it up. This is not the thing you tell a person having a full-blown panic attack. After the first or second attack, a doctor once told me that breathing into a brown paper bag would do nothing to help the symptoms. Also not something you ever tell a person prone to panic attacks. You see, breathing into a brown paper bag takes your mind off things. It also limits the amount of oxygen you're getting because you're breathing in some carbon dioxide. Another doctor told me that's the worst thing he's ever heard a doctor say to someone. He told me to breathe into a paper bag or do whatever I had to do to figure out what triggers panic attacks. When I was in that ambulance, time seemed to go on forever. The 45 minute ride seemed like an eternity. When we finally arrived, they brought me into emergency and a doctor checked me out and asked me what I did that night. I told him I smoked some pot and drank some beer. He just smiled at me. I'm gonna give you a sedative, he said. I'd recommend staying away from pot next time. I smiled back at him and drifted off as they injected me with something to completely relax me. In a few hours, my blood oxygen levels and blood pressure normalized, and I woke up to my wife standing over me with a worried look on her face. I looked up into those big blue eyes and told her I was sorry, that I was just trying to see if something would help me through these stupid panic attacks. She was not amused, not by a long shot. Eventually I learned to control my panic attacks. I began to understand the triggers and the emotional setup. I learned to occupy my mind with different thoughts rather than let the horrors take control. It wasn't easy, but it sure made life easier, especially for my wife who really didn't understand what I was going through. Lucky for me, she just loved me through all of it. Many people are uncomfortable talking about panic attacks. They have a stigma. Panic attacks are a mental health issue, and as Americans, we don't want to talk about them or anything related to that. And that's just sad. Panic attacks are part of who we are. They are not an anomaly, and people who suffer from them are not weirdos or pariahs. They're our friends, our brothers, sisters, husbands, wives. They're normal people like you and me. And there's help out there. There are good doctors who understand this, and there are some doctors who don't. But if we start talking about this, we might be able to make a difference. podcast was produced by Akamafia Productions. Any relationship to real events or people is probably not a coincidence. Though in this particular story, the names of my friends were changed to protect their identities. These words and memories are my own and may contain traces of the truth. Music, as always, by Kevin McLeod of Incopitech.com. You can catch the entire first season of the Truth As I See It podcast on SoundCloud. Thanks for listening.